Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Pastor Jim's desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application to our daily lives. We have been talking about trusting God and how important it is. But did you know we often see how much we trust God by whether we obey Him or not? God will often call you to obey Him and leave the results up to Him. That's true faith. In Genesis chapter 22, God calls Abraham to one of the most difficult things we see in all of the Bible, and Abraham trusts God with his beloved son Isaac's life. 2,000 years later, God will send his beloved son, and things will turn out differently. To learn more about God's love for you, Pastor Jim concludes his message, learning to fully trust the God who provides. Remember what Abraham said to God back in Genesis 18.25, Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? He actually believes it. He actually believes it. And now we come to verse 9. We begin to sort of move in slow motion. Um, After saying God will provide the lamb, it could also mean that God will choose the lamb. Verse 9 says, Then they came to the place of which God had told them, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him up, uh, laid him on the altar upon the wood. Now, it's easy to think that Abraham's being obedient here, and he is. What does it tell you about Isaac? He is willing. It tells you that he trusts his father who has undoubtedly taught him for years how we are to trust our heavenly father. And parents, that's all we can do is teach our kids how to trust our heavenly father and then continue even later in life to to model that for them. Verse 10, and Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay. Some of you say slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. You know, this seems odd in in contemporary Christian culture, but sacrifice is part of the Christian life. And if you are a parent, this you know. It would be harder to put your kid on that slab than it would be to get on it yourself and tell him to off you. You know that. I can't even imagine what's going on in their heads right now. Verse 13, then Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket. So he's in a, he's in a sticker bush. He's in, the thorns have him captured by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of, some of you have heard him say, in place of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide As it is said to this day, the mount of the Lord, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Why? Because Isaac lived that day, 
the Israelites came into being. Very much like the Passover, they were saved by the blood of sacrifice. And where they are right now is near where Solomon built this temple and near, near where Jesus was crucified on the cross. So let's go. We're walking up the mountain with them. Verse 9, really, if we were going very slowly, has us on the edge of our seat. Will Abraham do it? Will he give up that which he loves the most? Will he give up the future of, of the people of God? And so he grabs the knife. I don't know if he was doing this one quickly. Maybe sweating, maybe saying, God, come on, come on. Now's a good time to show up. And the Lord spoke. He said, stop. Now I know that you fear God. I think, I think fear, we, we, not necessarily that he's afraid, like terrified, although we should be afraid of God. I think it's tied to his obedience. And, and again, I know this is so far into contemporary Christian culture. But when you study the scriptures, you realize not reading some best-selling Christian book that tells you everything's going to be fine and all God's going to do everything you want him to do. That's baloney. But obedience really tells you how much you love God. And I know that might be hard for some people to hear, but it's so very necessary. If you have the idea of, well, God's going to forgive all my sins, so it doesn't matter how I live, is that really loving? Let's say you're married and you know that your spouse is committed to be married no matter what. Do you show love to them by doing whatever you want? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, you know, just going to go disappear for a few weeks at a, on end, you know. Wine, women, and song, babe, you don't care. You love me. Thanks for staying loyal. You know, here, hold my wedding ring while I'm gone. No, our obedience really shows us how much we love God. It doesn't mean we don't have flaws. But it means that we're really dedicated to trying to do better with God's help. So the Lord miraculously provides a substitute, one that would die instead of or in the place of Isaac. Now, we know this points us to what later on Moses will give us as the Old Testament sacrifices. So the people would put their hand on the animal and in effect, their sins would be transferred from themselves to the animal and the animal would die in their place and their sins would be forgiven. All of which was pointing us to what? The cross of Jesus Christ. Now, it doesn't, it's not like in the Old Testament, well, they just got an animal, said, oh, here you go, touched him and gone, oh, I'm good, let me go sin however I want. No, there's an element of faith there. Just like there must be an element of faith for us in Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. We must trust that he died in our place for our sins. There's an interesting verse in John chapter 8 that drove the religious leaders up the wall. John 8, 56, Jesus said, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and, was, and, it, and, it, and he was glad. 
The religious leader said to him, dude, you're not even 50. He lived over 2,000 years ago. But I think what Jesus may have been talking about in this verse is that Abraham saw right here how God forgives sins, how he will forgive sins. This is what we call substitutionary atonement. A substitute atoned or paid for my sins and your sins. So the sins of the offerer were transferred to the animal. The sins of the person of faith, are when we put our trust in Jesus, our sins are transferred to Jesus on the cross. And then these guys, the religious leaders are going nuts. What do you mean you and Abraham? Abraham saw you, he saw this. What are you, you're not even 50. And then what does Jesus say? Oh, oh, let me clarify for you. Before Abraham was, I am. I am the name of God. That is the name of God. Oh, by the way, the reason that happened is because I'm God. That's what got him killed. That's what got him killed. Verse 15, then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, by myself, I have sworn. So now God's making a divine oath, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Blessing, I will bless you and multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And look, just remember this for the future. Uh, And your descendants shall possess the gates of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they rose and went together to Beersheba and Abraham dwelt in Beersheba. So God renews the promise he made to Abraham, this time with a divine oath. Why? He says to Abraham, listen, I want you to know how serious this thing is because you trusted me. I'm going to do something I normally don't do. I'm going to give you a divine oath. You see, a lot of people think God is just obligated. God is obligated to do what he says. No more, no less. But here, Abraham grabs the promise by faith. He grabs it. And when you put your trust in Jesus, if you never have, you can today. That's what we do. We grab the promise of the forgiveness of sins and eternal life in heaven with God to be adopted as God's children. We grab it by faith. And where does it happen? On the mountain of the Lord. The place where we meet and worship God. The place where Solomon will build his temple. The place near where Jesus is crucified. You know, I think think these pictures of the mountain, and we just kind of think of mountaintops and valleys and stuff like that, I think it actually explains a lot about church to me or about what church is supposed to be. As we gather together, we hear, not, not the words of a man, we gather to hear from the Lord. We get to know him better as he shows us ourselves. We learn 
what he wants from us. We learn to obey. And as we worship and, and listening, you're listening right now and taking this as this is a form of worship. And as we pray and as we sing and as we talk with one another, we realize the Lord sees. It's like I, 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 sometimes I, I watch, particularly, you know, when people walking around after service back in the day, and I'd be like, shh, Jesus is walking among everybody. Don't you see him? There he is. There he is. See that person crying and see those four people around them praying for them? There he is. See that person who just got some really exciting news and people hugging them and they're all smiling and excited. Shh, there he is. There he is. We see that Jesus sees and we see that he provides for our souls. Now, if any of this story sounds familiar to you, how similar it is to Jesus who would come along some 2,000 plus years later when God the Father took his one and only beloved son but he was not spared. God did not stop his sacrifice for sins. In a very similar way, the cross was father and son business. Instead of a ram caught in a thicket, Jesus Christ was the perfect lamb wearing a crown of thorns. And yes, he carried the wood But the wood was the cross. Having been bloodied and beaten and nailed to a cross, it was Jesus who bled. For the scripture tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There is no taking away of sins as Jesus washed away our sins. And what about the fire? That day on the cross, the fire of God's wrath against sin was poured out. It was just dumped out all upon Jesus. Yet as we look at Jesus suffering on the cross, let us never, ever forget the sacrifice and pain of the father watching his son die at the hands of the very people he came to save from their sins. Like Isaac Jesus could have stopped it. He said, I could have called down 12 legions of angels, no problem. But Jesus had said, no one takes my life. I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to take it up again. But Jesus literally died, not figuratively. For three days, he was literally dead and rose from the dead to give, to offer forgiveness of sins and eternal life to all who will put their trust in him. Because he was, as John the Baptist said, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Abraham was right. God would provide the lamb. Again, this is one of those times when it's easy just to end here. But there's this random thing at the end of the chapter. Now, I know most of you, 
God bless you. You just read it and you're like, oh, well, whatever. I read it and I get so annoyed. I'm like, what is that doing there? Let me struggle through these names. Now, it came to pass after these things that it was told to Abraham, saying, indeed, Milcah has borne children to your brother Nahor. So here's the, here's the brotherly rivalry. Abraham has one son. Let's see how Nahor is doing, his brother. Huz, his firstborn, and Buzz, his brother. Now, those would be two fun guys, Huz and Buzz. Where are you going? I'm going out with Huz and Buzz. No, you're not. <laughs> Huz's firstborn and Buzz's brother, Kemuel, the father of Aram. He said, Hazo, Pildash, Jilaf, and Bethuel. And Bethuel begot Rebekah. Now, she's important because that's going to be Isaac's wife. So then you think, well, maybe that's the reason for this. Uh, these eight Milcah bore Nahor, Abraham's brother. So they have eight. His concubine, whose name was Ramah, also bore Teba, Gama, Thahash, and Machah. So he's got tons of kids. So did you notice that after Abraham obeyed, I asked you to put one little sentence in your pocket. Did you notice that God added a promise? Now, from this text, I don't know, to me, clearly obedience matters to God. At the end of verse 17, he said, your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies, which means they're going to go to places and they're going to win battles. True, true. That happened a lot, but they lost a lot too. And they lost their own city too. So, so maybe it's not just talking about the temporal, maybe it's talking about the eternal as well. Now, after years of struggling to have a son, we see all the kids that his brother Nahor had. Does that seem unfair to you? See, you won't say it because you're church people. You're churchified. You won't. Made up that word. But you know, you think it's unfair when God's people suffer so much and people who seem to care nothing about God are so blessed. You know that irks you. You know it does. I can tell by the way you're looking at me right now, somebody like, it does, it does, I admit it. Yet, Isaac is so important. You know, we said when Isaac was born, it was a miraculous birth. And for a follower of Jesus, that's our story. We need a miraculous birth. Remember, Jesus said, you must be born again. You must be miraculously born. How does that happen? Well, a couple of famous Bible verses. God did what he would not let Abraham do. He let his beloved son die for you. Isaac couldn't die for you, couldn't die for me. He was not perfect. He was not a perfect sacrifice. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, whoever trusts in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so while it's easy to see Abraham as like God the Father and Isaac as like Jesus in the story, I began to think 
if I'm in the story, I'm probably one of the guys at the bottom of the mountain who would just be in the way of everything. But besides that, if I'm one of the main characters in the story, who am I? And I realized that all of us are just, who are followers of Jesus, are just like Isaac. God the Father did for Isaac, and he will for anyone who puts their trust in him, what he wouldn't do for Jesus. He wouldn't let Isaac die, but he would let his son die on the cross, in your place, in my place, for our sins, and then rise from the dead to give us hope beyond the grave. So, we could venture into the unknown of death and we will possess all of the gates. It will all be ours. On earth, it may seem that other people are more blessed. On earth, things may seem worse for you. Things may seem bad at the moment for you. Things may seem very, very hard. But mark my words, better yet, mark God's words. It is going to be okay. You are going to be okay. Your future has been bought, paid for, and secured. Your eternity is a done deal. And that we have to keep in front of us as we go through this life. A verse we come back to over and over and over again. Romans 8.32, he who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for all of us, there's your cross, how shall he not with him also freely give us, give his children, give all those who've put their trust in him, all things. Faith says God will give me, God will give you, God will give us all things. Maybe not now. The Abraham and Isaac had to go what? Go back and live life. But now they know what it's like to have all things. And then Romans 8, you go down to verse 39. It says, nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. When you know what your future is, when you know that nothing can separate you from the love of God, seriously, Keep that in front of you. Keep that on your mind. And you know what that will do? That will help you when the tests come. That will help prepare you for the tests. As you are, as I am, as we all are learning to fully trust God who provides. And that's where God has brought Abraham to. And that's what God is doing in your life. And that's what God is doing in my life. 
Maybe you're here today or you're watching online or you're hearing this message and you're thinking, but here's the deal, man. Pastor Jim, I am not a follower of Jesus. This is God's grand invitation to you. This is your moment. This is your day. This is your time to say, Jesus, I don't, I don't want to die for my own sins. I want to get off that altar of sacrifice and I want you to be my sacrifice. And I'm going to put my trust in you. Forgive my sins. Give me eternal life. Bring me into your family. And let me face this unknown future. Unknown. Knowing that you have a plan and a promise for me. And I can follow you and love you and be loved by you all the days of my life. Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Changed by Love brings you the great hope of the gospel to equip you to reach others with this transforming message. In a world filled with fear and mistrust, Pastor Jim provides the path to freedom in a clear and transparent style. Changed by Love needs your help to reach thousands, including your friends and neighbors. Find out the ways you can team financially with Changed by Love by visiting our website at changedbyloveradio.org or call 862-217-9686. Pastor Jim would love to hear your story and how Changed by Love has impacted your life or someone you know. Your encouragement goes a long way. Thank you for spending time with Pastor Jim Kevney and Changed by Love.